Hello and welcome back to the Local Matters Podcast. It's Season 2, Episode 2, and I'm here today with Ethan. Hello. And Patrick. Hello. Today we're talking about youth politics. It's a very broad topic, but within it today we'll be talking about opportunities for young people and you know anyone sort of under the age of 30. If you want to make change in politics, where you can go, what you can do. And we're going to talk about our thoughts on each approach. So first of all, the obvious choice is mainstream parties. We're talking about Labour, Conservatives, maybe Lib Dems at a push. Um, these are obviously massive parties, massive funding, not just from its members, but from massive corporations who want to sway their opinions one way or the other. They're ruled quite strictly by party whips. Um, so all this comes into how easy it is to make change within a party. Um, do you, one of you two want to start us off on this topic? So yeah, one of the most common ways I think young people get involved in politics is by joining one of the big mainstream parties that are around now. There's not that many mainstream parties on the field at the moment because of the nature of British democracy. But for a lot of people, this seems to be the easiest and, in their minds, most effective way of having their voice heard. Because it's quite a big forum, it's well established, sometimes these parties are centuries old, and, well, they're in government. For young people, they would usually join the youth wings of these parties. And these can be quite formidable, especially in the case of the Labour Party, the membership of which is largely composed of the youth. I personally feel like this is not a very good approach for young people because it seems a very diluted approach. And yes, your voice might be heard in quite a big forum. But if the forum is dominated by thousands, if not millions of other voices, you might feel a bit out of your depth. Uh, Do you guys agree or do you think it's quite an effective route for young people? There are definitely avenues for young people to work their way up. I think that anyone joining a big party like Labour or Conservatives does probably see themselves in the House of Commons or at least running as candidate in a constituency on behalf of that big party. Because, you know, if any party is going to give them that opportunity, it would likely be the parties who do get into the House of Commons. But, yeah, as you say, there's a lot of people trying to do it. And the voices... um, and anyone doing it is definitely a very small fish in a very big pond full of lots and lots of other small fish. I think it's also worth mentioning that it really does depend on what sort of change you want to make. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who are perfectly content with maintaining the Tory status quo and the Labour status quo and are happy being that fish in that pond and you know continuing to go down the path of, of whatever... Um, the Tory party is, is uh, doing at the minute, and same for the Labour Party. So really, uh, it depends on, on what your personal stance is, but I would assume that most people uh, listening to Local Matters uh, are probably not completely aligned with these two parties anyway. And if you want uh, to actually see any change beyond the status quo, uh, I think that's where working with a mainstream party really starts to fall apart. Uh, certainly, as I say, I think it's a brilliant opportunity uh, for you to get involved if you are happy with what's going on. But I think there's very little opportunity for you to change anything, like you said, Charlie. So even though we don't like the mainstream parties' approach to things, we're not saying that they're irrelevant at all, obviously. They're the bread and butter of British politics. And they have to be influenced in some way, even if it's influenced to the point of their destruction. Uh, but this is where another approach comes in, the role of, I suppose you could call them fringe parties or small minor parties, these do have an indirect influence on the mainstream parties. 
Despite the nature of British politics making it such that only a few parties will be in the runnings in an election, there are quite a few uh, minor parties in Britain. And these range all across the political spectrum from you know, well-known groups like UKIP to lesser-known groups like the, the Social Democratic Party, regional groups like the Yorkshire Party, and some quite radical groups like Patriotic Alternative on the right and even the Communist Party on the left. On each end of that spectrum, as you just said, uh, there are the quite radical parties, whether it's PA, the Communist Party, and there's few others either side. Um, none of those are electable and never will be. And they, you could argue that they are metapolitical tools, um, but largely they just soak up the audiences that already exist with those views. You know, They preach to the choir and they make some money off it, but they do not expand their ideas, if they have any ideas, onto... Uh, the greater public so based on that change is not going to come from uh, these parties which you know some people would call extreme the liberal media would call extreme uh, let's say whether it's left or right they're not going to make effective change anytime soon i think as well due to the uh, limited nature of british politics it's often case that a lot of younger people do get pulled into uh you know things like the communist party or something like um uh, patriotic alternative for the sole reason that they may have one or two views that align with that group that they can't find expressed anywhere else. And then because of that, radicalism may seem like their only option. Uh, and I think the very confined nature of, of the British political system really doesn't assist in that and does push people towards these radical uh, parties, where otherwise we could be having a much more uh, broad spectrum as opposed to a few stepping stones from, I don't know, say a party like UKIP, so ending up in a place like Patriotic Alternative. You can imagine how frustrated young people will be being these tiny fish of massive ponds going with any significantly uh, elected party. So they join these parties that are tiny but are on the edges of the spectrum because they receive um, strange amounts of attention from the media because they're different and they usually don't last too long. So, And that can feel rewarding. Um, even though it's not making any real change, it can feel like you're part of something purely because the movement is controversial. I totally agree. And you don't only get undue amounts of attention from the media or unusual amounts of attention. You also get it from the other party members and unusual amounts of respect as well. Uh, it basically makes you an emperor of an anthill. But to be honest, Charlie, I actually disagree with your broader point about these groups being not totally useless, but effectively neutered in like a political scene because i think a lot of parties are like that a lot of minor parties but i think if you get the balance right you can really make a difference for example ukip was the force that triggered the uk independence referendum and also the brexit party in my opinion was what made last year 2019's election such a landslide um, not saying the conservatives wouldn't have won anyway but the red wall was demolished by never Tory voters voting for the Brexit party because they were neglected by Labour's leadership. So I feel like you're giving minor parties not enough credit. Well, my point my point was regarding the fringe parties, not not all minor parties as well. Um, I said that they're metapolitical tools. Um, so while they're useful, what I don't like is when these small parties, especially the ones with very radical views or what the liberal media would call very radical views, um, when they pretend that they could get elected, get into parliament and change laws, they can only change things by 
by projecting their message to different platforms and spreading it through metapolitics. They will not make change through government. And that's what I was saying. And especially, as I say, it's it's not minor parties. It's it's these minor parties that are on the periphery of uh, of extreme. That's um, something you see a lot in British politics. I think it's quite a unique characteristic is that you have these uh, parties like UKIP or uh, what we didn't mention, the Green Party, uh, who don't massively intend to garner seats um, but are built to push uh, towards specific issues. So you get a lot of singular issue or very uh, few issue parties um, that end up trying to influence and sway uh, the main two parties of, of um, Labour and the Conservatives uh, just by the threat of their increased vote and that obviously is why we got the Brexit referendum and why several parties are trying to now um, uh, increase their environmental schemes, uh, among other reasons, obviously. Um, so, no, I think there definitely is a place in our current political system for these smaller parties in terms of agitating and uh, pushing these issues to the larger parties. But I do think uh, their existence it is, is um, to be frank, quite a shame. The fact that they know that we just have to kowtow to the two-party system that we essentially uh, live in and only can nudge it from the outside is a shame. I'd love to see any one of these, uh, or not any one of these, but I'd, I'd love to see you know most of the, the smaller parties in the UK be able to, to gain seats if they have the support. And now they just don't have the opportunity to be represented at all. You're right, that is the biggest shame. Uh, we've talked about direct democracy and proportional representation before but with our current system yeah it's all got to come from the outside yeah, before we move on as well i think it's worth mentioning um regional parties a little bit more in depth um i've done a bit of work with the yorkshire party recently i'm running for their executive chair and i think groups like that uh which are very appealing to regions might be a very uh dangerous force against that two-party system and I think that is, is a potential avenue for change in, in the political scene because it's a lot easier to get people in a specific region unified on a specific idea based on a shared identity and heritage as it is to get somebody across the entirety or, or people across the entirety of the UK um, spread out uh, to vote for a fringe party in concentration enough to get a seat. So, for example, the Green vote is spread all across the UK, but a part of the Yorkshire party is concentrated massively in Yorkshire, meaning it's far more likely that they will get into power than anything so broad. Uh, and I think that is a massive avenue worth looking into uh, if there is any regional parties in your area, which sadly now uh, there are few and far between, but it is, it is definitely uh, a positive avenue uh, that's only just starting to sort of bubble up and something I hope we see more of. I think that's the, the positive uh, sort of silver lining and, and shining beacon of these fringe parties at the minute. So obviously, apart from government groups or electoral groups, you also have a plethora of non-electoral pressure groups and charities and all these other kind of uh, organisations. And I think a lot of these are driven by mass membership. And in that way the sort of demand of their members less adherence to actual ideological positions and it becomes almost a bit of a social thing and it follows trends like mainstream trends quite powerfully 
In the past few years, uh, in Britain at least, one of the most recognisable groups like this has been Extinction Rebellion. I suppose you could also add to that list the Black Lives Matter movement. But apart from these two, more traditionally, you would have groups like Greenpeace and other sort of groups that the media views quite favourably. Yeah, the groups you're talking about are very much a social trend. Uh, a lot of them sort of burn bright, die young. I mean, XI is already dying down. It's been, what, a year or two. Uh, BLM is probably uh, it's probably surpassed its height about now when the uh, statue was dumped in the river in Bristol. I think that was its peak in the UK. I can't see it going past that point now. Um, yeah, these trends are based on people wanting to fit in. Uh, I'm not saying that its members don't necessarily believe in the ideal, you know, the ideas that they perpetuate, but I think they don't necessarily subscribe to the ideas or policies. These aren't ideological people. These are just people who hear the message and they subscribe to it, they sign up, maybe they attend a protest or two. And because people do it on such a massive scale, usually to very agreeable points, you know, at XR, of course, you want to uh, stop the environmental crisis so that humans don't go extinct. But as a matter of course, um, you don't want black people to be killed en masse by police. So um, these very agreeable points attract a lot of people, especially young people. Um, but then when the movements have deeper ideologies um, than just the simple message, then these people can get carried away and follow them which is obviously quite dangerous. Yeah, these mass movements are often driven by emotion, as you said, rather than ideas or policy points. I mean, they'll always have a few proposals, but it's the kind of thing where on these YouTube channels that peaked around 2016, you know, the sort of libtard destroyed public freakout sort of channels. These are the exact kind of groups that were targeted by those channels because it's such a mass movement without a lot of depth, I would argue at least for the majority of the membership, that as soon as a reporter starts to scratch beneath the surface a bit and ask them, why do you believe this? Or have you considered this? Um, they react in quite a explosive way, I suppose. And that was what made those channels very popular back in the day. They've become a bit tired now. Yeah, the responses would definitely be a, be moral or emotional. You, you are a bad person if you don't agree with X. And, and this unfortunately works on more people than you'd expect. If the foundation of such a movement is not based on facts, but is rather based on sentiment, then it's hard to disagree with, as you said, because you can't contest a sentiment. It's um, a lot of these these groups, especially uh, the environmental ones, um, which are uh, slightly less sentimental. Um, you know, they do claim to be the scientific, uh, you know, perspective. Uh, still, are very. Uh, they're, they're a glossed layer they're, they're so surface level just like you said Charlie as soon as you sort of poke beneath the surface very quickly does uh, what they, they believe fall apart and that's due to the average member I think being massively apolitical uh, these groups aren't made up of political people they're made up of regular people who have seen something on social media and based on the very uh, thin uh, surface level uh, bit of information they've been given they find whatever X group is talking about agreeable, um, be it a, a group based on any particular issue uh, and associated with the left or also the right as well. Um, you see this a lot when you look at, uh, you know, this anti-migration protests and things like that or um, anti-lockdown protests. A lot of the people there, uh, if you poked them at specific issues, wouldn't really be able to explain themselves because they're not political people. They are just regular people who have been energized around a particular issue uh which is 
is like you said incredibly dangerous it um leads to very very messy movements and i don't think um such mass movements have uh made massive amounts of change in the uk i don't think anybody uh cares more about the environment now after xr than um than before it and that that might be um quite contested by a few people but i, I believe quite strongly that um you know, for them to be able to mobilise that many people to begin with, generally the issue is already fairly agreeable. Yes, the environment is important. Yes, you know, shooting thousands of people isn't brilliant and, and you know, things like that. It's just um, an expression of political anger around a specific issue, really, which is why I think for young people, yes, if it's something you're particularly passionate about and you do know your stuff, sure, get involved with something if you really would like to. Um but I don't think it's a it's a great avenue for change, which is what we're trying to talk about today. I think we have to be careful not to completely dismiss these organisations, though, not only because, well, they demonstrably have a lot of sway over large sections of society, but also because their leadership is far from apolitical, I think. I think these are hardened ideological veterans that know the power of mass movements and the power of sentiment. Most of the revolutions and radical movements of the 20th century have had sentiment as the primary motor, in my opinion. Britain might be a bit different because I think we at least like to think that we're a bit more of a sensible society or a bit more of a, I suppose, prudish society than a lot of European cultures. But clearly, these are having success in the UK. I agree with Ethan. These these vague messages are by design and they're sentimental and moral because that's a very easy argument to make. So they can attract mass people and people can defend that very easily with simply the moral argument, whether that's right or wrong. Um, so the people at the top definitely do know what they're doing. And that's the point is that they push, they can push policies which they can put under the name of the vague agreeable statement, but which are actually in the aims of something else. You see, I would tend to disagree in terms of these mass movements, though, because as successful as they have been in the past, I think uh, their their modern iterations have not been. Yes, they have galvanised people and got people on the street, but I do not think that XR has generated any political change, really, compared to that that was already being done by groups like Greenpeace or groups like the Green Party. I think XR is just a mass mobilization of people around a particular issue. I, I think and I agree that the people at the top are probably very ideological and do know their stuff and do understand the power that mass movements have, but I do not think that it is yet to be utilized. I'm not saying that mass movements are uh, entirely a lost cause, but I'm saying the current uh, trends in mass, mass movements have not been utilized to any effective change. I think you can look at a much more effective uh, case of mass movement in, in a place like France if you look at uh, the Yellow Vest protests. I think that is, is a far uh, greater example of something like that. But in the UK, I think thus far, mass movements have been largely pointless, to be blunt, thus far. If you look at some of these groups that we mentioned, so Black Lives Matter and Extinction Rebellion, it's interesting because they almost form a second generation of mass politics. As you said, they are almost reiterations of earlier movements, um, civil rights movements for Black Lives Matter and Greenpeace and other earlier environmentalist groups for Extinction Rebellion. So they might take a different role in society than these groups because they're not meant to 
I suppose, introduce the issues to society where they feel like they were lacking before, but they perhaps see their purpose as finishing the job, if you know what I mean. So it's, it takes a tone of why haven't we resolved this issue yet rather than this is an issue, do you know what I mean? I, I certainly see the successor perspective. I just, um, especially with a group like Black Lives Matter, uh, but what I, I don't see is is the direction that they're intending to head with that. So yes, it's the, the second iteration, but finish it how, finish it what. A lot of these groups, uh, XR is probably exempt from this uh, because they have offered uh, alternatives and change and policy, um, which is, is good. Uh, but uh, from groups like that, as Matt, you see very little of that. It's generally just um, very surface level things, such as arresting uh, specific police officers or generally protecting black lives which is, is far too broad to be anything really policy-based. Um, and a lot of what XR suggests, I think, is um, far too radical to really gain any traction. Although you could argue then that um, sort of sets the bar a bit further out and then can normalise what the Green Party might be saying. Um, I think that's to be seen over the next few years, but thus far, I don't think we have seen it. I really think it depends on the context and environment in which these movements form, because you mentioned earlier, Patrick, the yellow vests. And it's strange because they actually have a very broad sort of base in terms of not only their members that attend, but their demands. They're simple, but very broad and not based on a single issue such as uh, civil rights or environmentalism. And it's without leadership and almost anarchic, but very organised. I think it's the polar opposite of the kind of groups that you see emerging in Britain, which are very organised around a strong leadership, but and quite narrow in their demands, but ultimately, as you said, quite inert. So I think that is a result of perhaps the cultural differences between Britain and France. There's a much more political society, as well as the fact that these people that came out for the Yellow Vests came out away from their jobs, for example, with very serious um, concerns, largely about taxation, whereas a lot of the people on these mass, mass groups in Britain, such as Extinction Rebellion, perhaps are more driven by sentiment rather than material concerns in their lives. Yeah, and they're also dominated by the youth as well, which I don't think the Yellow Vests are. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of differences, and I, I agree they're definitely uh, on opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, well, I don't even think that necessarily one is superior to the other uh, in in terms of organization, because I think there's uh, plenty of benefits to having a much more structured leadership. And I think in some ways, the Yellow Vests would have benefited from having maybe some more direction and some more leadership. Um, however, I still think despite that, they have been more successful than groups here. Uh, I think partly due to the fact that honestly, they have been more broad and thus they've been able to attract more people. And secondly, due to the uh, political climate of France being so different as well. Uh, as you said, they are a far more politicized society. People are willing to go off work to march for these issues. Whereas, as I said, a lot of the people getting involved with XR and um, Black Lives Matter protests are young people who are students and uh, don't have work to attend to and things like that and can spend the day at a protest with you know, a post that they've seen on Facebook and something that they support. Maybe that's a result of the lack of opposition for these groups in Britain. Um, while there might seem to be a bit of opposition, or at least they you know, pretend that there is some, how much of a rebellious group is it when you have half of parliament, or at least half of parliament, 
are calling for their demands to be enforced and people from all sectors of society showing solidarity with the movement. Whereas in France, Yellow Vest faced very severe government opposition and made the government tremble a bit. So perhaps sort of stepping aside and agreeing with the groups rather than showing them actual opposition is what makes them a bit ineffective because there's no one to demand against. They all sort of pretend at least that they agree. I think it's it's actually more so an issue of the fact that a lot of what is being discussed, such as, you know, environment being a positive thing and, you know, the, the deaths of black people being a negative thing, it, these are very cut and dry, yes, these are things that people should support sort of issues. Whereas something like the Yellow Vest, it, it is... It has to be more ideological because it can't be as based on sentiment. So it has to be based on policy and ideas a little bit more, um, or at least um, between the general members. And there always will be those people who aren't in it because they're anti-government or whatever else, but there has to be a greater sentiment there. That's the thing about the Yellow Vest is that for people in Britain, it appears almost like a magic mirror and people read into it because it's so poorly defined in terms of sentiment, because it's based on a plethora of concerns that all exploded at the same moment. People read into it what they want. So you'll have people on the right saying it's a revolt against liberalism and globalism and people on the left saying, oh, it's the corrupt capitalist regime finally falling. But in reality, it's obviously a lot more complex. And that's perhaps what makes it such an unassailable beast is because it's made of genuine concerns and is so broad that it can't be appeased like Extinction Rebellion, for example, could be appeased by releasing a new line of disposable, recyclable bottles. Yeah, I think, um, as you said, though, uh, at least in the UK at the time being, very little change is being made by these groups. And I personally wouldn't recommend young people um, to get involved with them, or at least not uh, the big mass movement, uh, big mass movements based on trends. Um Simply because if if you're wanting to make a change, I don't think that's the best way to spend your time. Um, you know, if you are passionate about any sort of issue, I would encourage anybody, regardless of your political beliefs, to to go out and have your voice heard and and you know throw out your ideas into into that exchange. Uh, but I, I don't think these mass movements are the best way to do it. I think we we were close to getting a bit sidetracked in terms of uh, going off on a tangent about them. These um. One of the big flaws with these groups is the left-right dichotomy, which is so outdated. Uh, it's something we've talked about in podcast episodes. The XR, for example, um, you couldn't step into there while being anti-mass immigration because they um, they have a sort of subconscious manifesto uh, of very liberal policies. So you would have to uh, agree with XR on all those policies, despite their focus on environmentalism only. And that's why young people need to look for groups which perpetuate ideas that cross these party lines, these left-right lines. Um, any press group that wholly supports a political party probably isn't really a press group, because again, they're just agreeing with something that's already a trend. Any press group that has managed to convince hundreds of businesses to tweet out their hashtag for example is probably not really making much change because they're already an agreeable stance um so as i say the groups that young people need to get involved in are the ones with ideas real proposals and that don't depend on this left right um this left right identity where a set of beliefs is a set of beliefs and you're either for or against them all yeah, I do think there is a lot of uh, dangers in, in that umbrella effect of the left-right dichotomy. And I think smaller groups 
which are more organized and can be more focused have uh, the best chances of breaking out in that. And those are the, you know, the smaller pressure groups like ourselves, um, which are able to debate issues on an individual basis rather than having to concern ourselves with left and right. We discuss a lot of things and promote a lot of ideas that uh, should someone see them in isolation would immediately assume we were a left-wing group or a right-wing group. Uh, and only when uh, people see that our beliefs are entirely encompassing of the political spectrum and um, you know, a, a change in, in what is generally practiced by a lot of these larger groups, which is, as, as we said, uh, very umbrellaed over the left or the right. Um, it, it's, it's very confusing for people. But I think it is also the way forward in terms of pushing these ideas because it allows us to debate issues without having to worry about these umbrellas and get really down to the nitty gritty of, you know, the root causes of things like environmental damage and, and you know, talking about things like mass migration's impact on that. And those are obviously generally left and right issues, uh, which now, because we ignore that spectrum, we're able to discuss openly and freely together. Um, so I think, you no know, small pressure groups are uh, an absolutely brilliant force uh, because they can be so organized and can be so specific to get down to that level. It speaks volumes about modern, not only political culture, but general culture, that if you can't discern all of the political points of a group within a moment's glance. But I do think, as you said, Patrick, it's very, it allows for nuance, which is what makes politics. And I feel like once you get the ideas out there, once you expose people to such ideas, they'll realize that politics can be different. Politics can be common sense and taking the best ideas from all areas, not just a kind of clan war, tribal struggle between an outdated spectrum, you know? Yeah, I hate this blue versus red, side versus side match, as if as if we have to bet on one horse or the other. Uh, I mean, think about the options that are there as well. It's red Liberal Party versus blue Liberal Party. I'm really not interested in any of those. And even when it comes to press groups, a lot of them are still red or blue. Um, even if they're talking about one issue or if they talk about a few, they're going to fit into one of those two categories. So the groups that will make the real change are the groups with real ideas that don't fit into either of those categories and cross the line and you know have at least some space in both i noticed that a lot with people such as jair bolsonaro president of brazil where you'd have people that were slightly right wing singing his praises like indiscriminately just because he was the law and order candidate for example and they would abandon all of their other moral values that they always used to promote such as environmentalism and or well, yeah mainly environmentalism in this case just because he is on the right wing of the spectrum according to the media do you know what i mean so they don't even agree with any of his policies they just agree because you know he's on our side as they would have said and that's why i'm so proud that our membership and our supporters in our group come from all sides of the political spectrum and you see them every day in the chats, plucking ideas from each other and agreeing on some things, disagreeing on the other things, but all together believing in localism. Yeah, and that's brilliantly said. I think there's uh, a lot of uh, value in really proposing alternatives. And I think if you are a young person and you do want to see significant change, I think you really do have to look at the bigger picture. Uh, and I think it's, it's a massive trap. And I think all of the, the previous things we've discussed really... Um, outside of the mainstream parties fall into this so if there is change in the uk it is it is generally single issue based it is generally the ukip of, of leaving the eu or the green party of 
uh, environmentalism or XR of the same. Um, whereas I believe that, you know, for real political change, you need uh, a more widely encompassing strategy. And um, the ideas are really important. But obviously local matters or any other group, uh, you know, based on these broad ideas isn't going to be, you know, in the House of Commons by the end of the year. We're not a party. So how do we actually achieve tangible change ourselves? Um, and the, the way that we do that is is through metapolitics. If you're not familiar with uh, metapolitics, it's uh, a fairly broad strategy of, of uh, changing the way that ideas are discussed and debated uh, as opposed to conventional party politics or these mass movements. Although mass movements can occasionally fall into metapol uh, metapolitics. But generally what it, it is is any sort of uh, attempt to shift politics and the Overton window uh, outside of you know generic party politics uh, through things like activism, discussion of ideas and things like that. Uh, something that we discuss a lot is counterculture. Uh, and that's creating a, a sentiment and a spirit of ideas and community, uh, not necessarily entirely political, but based around these ideas. Um, and this is something that has uh, existed with a lot of movements throughout history, especially uh, throughout the 20th century. Uh, there were several countercultures that led to uh, movements throughout Europe being incredibly successful. Um, and, and that's a strategy which not only is tried and true, but I think still is very, very effective in the 21st century. If we want to look at examples of that, we have to look back a fair bit. And it's important to mark the distinction between subcultures and countercultures. Uh, a sub, for example, would be the mods, the rockers, and that sort of thing in the UK. But a powerful counterculture uh, for America um, was the hippies during the Vietnam War. It was a massive anti-war movement, as well as some other laws, um, typical hippie. Uh, stereotypes but um, they were massive and music was the central point of their counterculture uh, but they used that to funnel politics in a specific direction you know the, uh, the hippie movement is a brilliant example of it um, because it, you can compare it and I think a lot of people who are in XR and things like that right now would compare themselves to these movements um, but the differences between groups like that is um, as, as lacking in politics if we, as we've just claimed XR is uh, they don't make up for it in culture. There is no real uh, culture around uh, groups like XR as there there were with the hippie movements. Um, you know, there's certainly sort of groups in society that might trend towards groups like XR, but the, the group itself and the issues themselves aren't really championed in a counterculture. Um, and it, it's not something that is, is massively uh, occurring right now in, in the UK. And I don't think there is any specific reason as to why not. I think it's a brilliant platform and I think it's a brilliant way to brew ideas. I think, if I had to think, I, I'd say it's probably because building a council culture is just simply so difficult. Uh, you, you're trying to sort of sway, um, you know, the, the natural flow of society and people's interests and, and things like that, uh, you know, based on what will generally start as uh, the ideas of a few individuals. I, I certainly believe it's possible but it's definitely an uphill battle. Um, but once you have those possibilities and once you've fought that battle, I think it is it is one of the most, if not the most, effective way for, for real uh, radical change uh, today in, in modern politics. Because um, as we've said with these, with these previous points, be it mainstream parties, fringe parties, or these trend groups, uh, 
radical change is is not generally uh, available. So it really does depend on the perspective of any individual young person on what change they want to see. Because as much as we'd love everybody to join Local Matters, I would equally enjoy every young person to at least be politically active anyway, or at least as active as they want to be. Uh, you know, if you have a belief, go get involved with something at least. Yeah, even to people who disagree with us, um, definitely be politicised. And you notice that a lot of young people, um, or at least I've noticed, a lot of young people change their views until about 25, 27. Um, and we get people joining local matters who said, oh, I was I was X for a few years, whether it be right or left. Um, and they sort of come to, um, come to the preference of ideas rather than the blue and red race that we've discussed. But yeah, any, any beliefs should... Um, any ideas should be out there definitely politically active it's very important because your politics is encompassing of everything and if someone's listening to this podcast then they're already relatively politically engaged and counterculture overall is simply a metapolitical tool you know it pushes these ideas um it's not as if the hippie movement was placing hippies into the united states government um, but they were pushing the ideas through grassroots activities, um, and that is how you changed it from the outside. And especially with the first past the post system, we don't even have direct democracy, no proportional representation. Uh, very small parties struggle so much to have any real tangible political influence. Uh, it's all about pushing from the outside with metapolitics, and counterculture is the ultimate tool for metapolitics. You say that they didn't enter the US Congress, but that is exactly the result of metapolitics, which is, you know, this underlying stream of ideas is that when they did finally decide to leave the commune and put on a suit and tie, these are the people that are in government now. And these are the teachers now, civil servants, everything. All of the apparatus of government has been consciously or subconsciously infiltrated by the progeny of the hippie movement. So that shows how successful even something like I don't know a, a parade or yeah or a band or just you know if just everyone knows the history of the hippie movement that sort of innocuous thing where it seems like it's just people with similar thoughts coming together ultimately that did shape the very world that we live in now and it's a hippies world we're just living in it at the moment <laughs> definitely and I, I I um I'll be frank in saying that I don't think it would be a part of local matters when I'm in my my late 40s but I certainly will uh, be uh, you know repeating the ideas and talking about the same issues um, but in a in a in probably a more formal polit- political setting but I think it's the the role of counterculture and the role of metapolitics to create a platform uh, for these sorts of people to get uh, elected and for these people to uh, actually make changes through the political system I think uh, you know right now a lot of ideas from these fringe parties are uh, aren't going to go anywhere because the political system isn't ready for it. There's not the platform and there's not the interest. Uh, even in environmentalism, um, it's, it's far too broad and there's, there's not the, the cultural level there that there needs to be. So I really do think that uh, for these parties to succeed uh, in the long run uh, through uh, elections and, and, and succeed in, in you know, um, party politics, uh, you need a counterculture or you need a metapolitical basis for them to jump off. Otherwise, they'll never be able to compete with the status quo culture of party politics because they will always be an outlier. 
I think that's a very good point to end on, to be honest, Patrick. Unless you want to say anything else, Ethan. No, I think that's everything. No, I have nothing else to add either. Okay, lead us out then, mate. Well, I would usually lead us out, but we've got a brand new professional outro to take us out instead. So please enjoy and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Local Matters podcast. Please be sure to rate and review our podcast as this helps us to appear in online searches. You can find our in-depth articles and news at www.thelocalists.org. Follow us on Instagram at localmatterseng for our most active community news and updates. Feel free to message us on Twitter at localmatterseng to get involved and inquire about any way to help out, no matter how small. If you would like to get more involved, we have a local supporter chat. To join, simply message us on Twitter. The supporters chat allows members to be in direct contact with the movement's key members and activities. If you would like to support our podcast team, writers, graphic designers or local activists, do consider finding us on Patreon by searching for Local Matters and clicking on that little red robin. Supporters can pledge as little as £2.40 a month, just the cost of a cup of coffee. Gain insider information on upcoming activities, graphics and events. Any support means the world to us. Local Matters is run purely on the passion of our volunteers and community to create a better England. You've been listening to the Local Matters podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our show and will join us on our very English journey.